Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander, Episode 44. Is everybody in the world going to die before someone finds the answer? Do I have to remind you that theory is the beginning of solution? What are we up against? Is it a dangerous thing? All I've ever known to be true is a lie. I didn't say it would be easy. I just said it would be the truth. Welcome to Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander, where we break away from religious systems and man-made dogma to learn the Word of God from an independent Hebraic perspective. And now your host, the prophecy buff who tackles the tough stuff, Alexander Lawrence. Hello and shalom. This is Watchman Alexander. And this is Terry Arnold. And before we start today's episode, I kind of wanted to take a minute and do a segment about us about just what's going on in our lives and what the Lord has been doing. Because I figure some of our listeners probably want to know a little bit more about our lives and get a little bit more personal. We're, yeah, we're, always, on the, <laughs> we're always in the studying uh, aspect of things, but your hosts are people. So <laughs> yes, we want we you to, to know us a little bit. So just real briefly, I thought I would update everybody. Things are going very well with the Disciples of Yeshua congregation. It's still small. We're 15 to 20 people. Uh, on a normal week. But that's great. You know, things start small. We're not despising the day of small beginnings. And there's an excitement there. And there's there's already some stuff happening. So anybody who's listening to this who lives in Central Texas is, of course, uh, welcome to reach out to me and see about coming to visit. You can reach me at admin at watchmanalexander.com. And I just got uh, an Ani Jewish Aramaic New Testament. So it's the entire New Testament translated into English from Aramaic instead of from Greek, which is what most translations are from. And so I'm really excited about that. And I got it just because I wanted it in general, but also <laughs> uh, I'm getting close to being done with the prophecy cheat sheet. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, I really wanted to have this Aramaic version of the Brit so that I could compare to other translations that come from the Greek and make sure that the prophetic texts that I'm referencing are as clearly understood as possible. Uh, so I'm very excited about having that and getting done with the prophecy cheat sheet here, hopefully within the next couple of months. And uh, also one little quick story, and then I'll be done, I'll pass it off, is uh, something that happened to Amanda and her friend Brandy, our friend really, Brandy, um, when Brandy was visiting. She used to live in Austin, she lives somewhere else now. But she came in and Amanda uh, took her out to the river and they were just sitting by the river talking. It's a public place where, you know, there are generally a decent number of people either swimming or milling about. So they weren't just, you know, all by themselves somewhere. But this interesting thing happened where a gentleman came up and uh, offered them some banana bread. You know, they had Ezra, our son, with them, who is, by the way, one year old today. That's another <laughs> yeah. cool thing. I'm so sad I missed his birthday party, man. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. I knew you wanted to be there. Yeah, it was interesting having a baby uh, at the beginning of the whole COVID lockdowns uh, thing. And, you know, he really made 2020 so much better than it otherwise would have been. <laughs> but yeah, we're a year in now. Uh, but he loves bananas. Absolutely is bananas for bananas. 
And so this guy comes up with banana bread and offers some. And um, they said he was, he was really nice. And he got to talking to them just, I don't know, just about stuff, but um, made it clear to them along the course of the conversation that he was a believer and he was telling people about this ministry that they have that helps um, addicts and, and other people who need to go through the process of recovery. And what was so interesting about it is that he handed them this flyer and they didn't look at it right away to see where the ministry was. They just assumed it was from this area, I guess. I mean, why wouldn't you? And uh, they looked at it later and it was actually a ministry that was located out where Brandy lives, which is hours away. <laughs> and uh, um, Brandy had been praying, has been praying for a while, very uh, intently for a family member who is in addiction and he doesn't, he doesn't want to be supposedly this guy has a really good heart. And I think he's a believer, but he's just stuck in addiction to drugs. And so the family has been praying for him and he's in jail right now, I think for the next six months or so. Um, but when he gets out, you know, they're, they're thinking about what can we do to help him? And so uh, now she has this information about a ministry that will help him that's in their area. And uh, yeah, he was, he told them that he was going around and talking to people in outside in that area that day and, and handing out these flyers and handing out bread. But the weird thing was they saw him come sh kind of straight at them. Like when he appeared from um, wherever the, the sidewalk or the woods or something, when they, he came into their sight line, yeah. um, he kind of came straight for where they were. And then he left and he didn't talk to anybody else. Didn't hand out any more bread or flyers. And then they said he just kind of disappeared. Like they, they were chatting. They looked back to see, uh, they were just kind of watching him as he walked away. They looked away for a minute, looked back, and he was just gone. And they're yeah. like, what in the world? And then when they found out that the flyer was from a whole other region, they were like, what in the world was this guy doing handing out flyers for a ministry that isn't even around here? So I think they came to the conclusion that this was an angelic visitation. And they said, as he was talking to them, they felt a whole lot of peace, just like this crazy, peaceful feeling for no apparent reason. <laughs> so I was like, wow, I mean, <laughs> I think you got visited by an angel and that's pretty amazing. Baruch Hashem. Dude, yeah. Bless the name. Mm -hmm. Real. I, like, there's just so many things like that that are just so wonderful. Um, you know, and, and that reminds me, um, Alex, uh, just uh, just the other day when we were on the phone, just all of the interconnections between uh, just God connecting us with people who are are coming into a place where they're starting to understand more Hebrew roots things, and or uh, on the other side where uh, Jewish people are like looking and just kind of scratching their head, like, wait, what? Why are you guys being so nice to us? <laughs> um, there's just so many things that God is busy doing, and I know in my life. Um, there's a, a work that God is stirring up to try to raise up a, a, another place of prayer here in the Austin area. And uh, I hope all of our listeners will be praying for that. <laughs> you know, pray for the house of prayer um, that is, is coming up in the area because we need more houses of prayer throughout the nation and throughout the world, really. It's something that God's doing. And so I'm not worried about it. I know he's going to do his thing, um, but I just love to see it more. Uh, amongst us uh, and and our people are in the area. Absolutely. I'd like to see that too. Yeah.
Additionally, uh, you know, Alex has mentioned before that my my son, my youngest son, uh, who is six months old now, he um, he had some surgery and it went well, and he's definitely hearing better. Uh, we're waiting to see on June first to see if he um, has normal hearing now, and so um, we're looking forward to that day to find out where we stand and what God has done so far, and just to be blessed even more by him. He's, he's a great little guy. And then my, uh, my youngest, uh, my oldest, my oldest son, uh, he is graduating from kindergarten. And so our journey has just begun, Alex. You've got a big, you got a head start on us, man. So as most of our friends, all our friends got kids that are much older. <laughs> I got this young, youngster. And we heard from Langston on last week's episode. Uh, yeah. Amanda's segment went to him. Uh, we'll hear from him again in the future during those segments. And he's a great little kid. Very cute, too. I mean, he sounds so adorable <laughs> <laughs> talking about Daniel and being so excited about his faith. Oh, uh, yeah. So that was quite a blessing. He got baptized a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And, he yeah, and, then, and then shortly zeal. thereafter had a dream that he described as being a visitation to the mountain of God, right? Yeah, he went. He said he went to Mount Zion, and he saw Jesus there. I was like, "What?" <laughs> and then he was. Yeah. He told me. He said, "Dad, I think I couldn't go until after I got baptized." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, okay." He wrote That's down seeing seeing the house of prophets too at the foot of the mountain. Apparently, I hadn't heard of the house of prophets, but it's what he said. He said there's a there's a whole huge house with a bunch of prophets in it that are at the foot of the mountain, and they all told him to go up go up to the mountain. Uh-huh. So I would guess that the house of prophets would be filled right now with people who had taken part in the first resurrection with Yeshua. Yeah, that, that might be. If that there is sense. such a thing there, then it may be. And they, those may be the elders, the 24 elders um, who we see in Revelation, or those may be angelic entities that were the first created. We don't really know. There's not enough detail there. But um, yeah. we know that Yeshua took people with him. Um, and that the barley sheaf that's waved on the day of first fruits of barley is a, a sheaf of many different stalks of barley. It's not just one stalk. It's a whole collection. Yeah. Um, so there were some from, from Jerusalem that were resurrected, and I would think that that would include those holy prophets. Yeah, um, he did. He called out seven specific prophets. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to remember them all right now, but I do know that we decided that the stories he's going to tell for his segment are going to come from the lives of those seven prophets that he saw. And so um, the first one was Daniel. Um, I know that there was also Elijah and Elisha and Abraham and David, Moses. I can't remember who else he said, but we'll, we'll have those upcoming in the future. Okay. So after that long preamble, (laughs) Let's move back into our study of Genesis, and we actually gonna we're gonna start chapter ten today. We pretty much finished out chapter nine last time, and I had promised that we were gonna start a discussion about Canaan. So that's where we're taking this right now. We're gonna talk about Canaan, son of Ham, and the part that he and his descendants play in the whole drama of the Bible. Yeah, this is about to be fun, and guys, we we really don't know where this is gonna go, so. You're just, you've been warned. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm sure we'll go down some rabbit holes and 
uh, we'll jump around a little bit on different topics, but I'm at least going to start here with Canaan and we'll see what happens. Okay, let's read verses one through uh, let's read one through six. Now these are the records of the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rifath, Togarma. The sons of Javan were Elisha, or Elisha, Tarshish, Kidim, and Dodanim. From these, the people of the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. That's verse six. Oh, sorry. Go ahead to verse seven. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Raama, and Sabteka. And the sons of Raama were Sheba and Dadan. Okay, so Ham had four sons. I'm sure he probably had more than that. Oftentimes, these things are compressed to only show us the ones that are the most pivotal. But he had four that are worth mentioning. And those were Cush, Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, Put, and Canaan, or Canaan. We talked last time about how Canaan comes fourth in this list, even though he was probably the firstborn. Right. Um, so that's interesting that he's being pushed to the end. But what I want to do as we go forward here is focus on the descendants of Canaan. Because we know all, I mean, hopefully we have a decent understanding of Egypt and where he ended up and put and Cush is a little bit more mysterious. Um, but we know he inherited land that was primarily to the east and somewhat to the southeast of Egypt. Um, but Canaan is the outlier. Why did he end up where he is? And in order to understand that, we're going to have to go to the Book of Jubilees. Yeah. And before we do that, can we deal with... Uh some of the Japheth, I just want to put some footnotes in here, mm-hmm. you know, especially um, when you're, when you're kind of new to the Bible, you're, you're reading these names. You're like, I don't see how any of these people's names matter. Um, so I, I want to make that a little bit closer to our listeners for the sons of Japheth, especially um, because Japheth also plays a very important role among the three sons. Uh, but when you read the specifically Magog, uh, some of you might remember things like, oh, the Gog and Magog War. So that's that same, uh, that's that same one. The others, um, Javon and, and Tubal. Tubal is going to definitely get referenced. Uh, Meshach is going to get referenced again later in the scriptures um, with the region that they, they go to. Um, all of those are, tend to be northern regions. I think from the Book of Jubilees, we uh, get that they are... Uh, they are just more northern as far as their inheritance of all of the lands of the earth, uh, the sons of Japheth in general. Um, and then you you see other things here, like the sons of Gomer is Ashkenaz. Some of you might have heard the term Ashkenazi Jew. And so that's a reference there to that the land of Ashkenaz as well. Um, then there's like places like Kittim, Tarshish. Tarshish, that would be the same. I think, I think that's generally 
the like Spain, Spain type area is where Tarshish is referring to. So in the story of Jonah, you'll hear that reference. He's, he float, he fleed to try to flee to Tarshish. So basically he just tried to go as far away from the whole land as he possibly could. Um, Kittim, I think, is often connected with uh, Rome and Italy. Um, so those are just some spots that you might want to know about uh, as being connected here. Yeah, that's really good stuff that you just pointed out that will play a part in our later discussions, because especially the Ezekiel 38 war yeah. um, involves Gog, Magog, Meshech, and maybe and Tubal. Tubal. Yeah, yeah, Tubal as well. Yep. And that's a big one. There's a lot of focus on that throughout the, at least throughout the Protestant world, especially evangelical world of teachers. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on Ezekiel 38 and trying to figure out when that falls in the timeline, because if it falls sooner than the very end of the age, it could be very influential in the, the, um, the religious life of the Jewish people and influential in world events, just geopolitics in general. Yep. Yep. But we'll get to that later. So the Book of Jubilees gives us a lot of detail about what was going on with Noah and his sons that we don't find in Genesis, just because Genesis is intended to be very concise. Yep. So in Jubilees, and by the way, we've said this before, but the Book of Jubilees was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Actually, a lot of copies were found. The guys at Qumran were using it extensively. Yep. We're going to start in chapter 8, verse 7. And she bare him a son in the fifth year? Is that what you want? Yep. And she bore him a son in the fifth year thereof, and he called his name Eber, which is where we get the name Hebrew. Yep. And he took unto himself a woman, and her name was Azrod, the daughter of Nebrod, in the 32nd Jubilee, in the seventh week, in the third year thereof. And in the sixth year thereof, she bore him a son, and he called his name Peleg. For in the days when he was born, the children of Noah. Noah is just the Hebrew version of Noah, began mm-hmm. to divide the earth amongst themselves. For this reason, he called his name Peleg, and they divided it secretly amongst themselves and told it to Noah. Okay, so pause. Peleg is probably familiar to most listeners. Um, and there's been some, uh, some discussion as to whether or not the earth was physically or metaphorically divided at the time of Peleg. And Jubilees actually answers this for us quite nicely. It says, he was named the way he was named because the sons of Noah were at that time deciding how to divvy up the land. Not that there was an actual division geographically, or uh, I should say, uh, terrestrially. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm, so, although I'm still a fan of both. <laughs> yeah. I, I think of it as prophetic name as well. Well, I actually do believe that the earth changed a lot um, after the flood, and it, it may have split from being one supercontinent into the seven continents that we have today. Um, I don't even know if it split at the time of the flood or if that's something that happened a little bit later. What we do know is that uh, initially after the flood, the water levels were much lower. The sea level was lower by a significant enough amount that big megalithic cities and structures were built in areas that are now completely flooded. Now, most of these that we've found so far are still relatively close to the coast. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the sea level was, you know, hundreds or thousands of feet lower. Well, maybe hundreds, but not thousands as far as we know, because all the ruins that we found underwater have been, um, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 feet, something like that. 
but even that is significant. You know, what that means is that there were a lot of pathways that were open at that time that are now not passable with anything except watercraft. And that makes a big difference when you're talking about the migration of animals and even the migration of people after the Tower of Babel incident, but especially the animals. How did the animals get over to, and I'm talking land animals, how did they get over to islands in the Pacific that are now completely remote? Well, right. there, there's actually um, pathways. And if you look at the topographical map of the Pacific, then you see that the elevation of the land between these different islands out there and, um, and like Southeast Asia is really pretty close to the surface. So if the water level was a few hundred feet lower, uh, animals could have just walked out to those remote locations and then it rose and they got trapped there. Right. And just so we're tracking all the way, uh, you know, the typical name is uh, Pangea for the supercontinent idea, um, which, you know, uh, it definitely has some some hiccups there with the name because uh, Pan is like a, what is it? Is it, is it among the Greek gods? I can't remember who, where mm-hmm. that term comes from. But uh, one of the one of the things about it is that there there's been evidence from scientists and stuff for a long time to support these things because you see the same kinds of uh, fossils on each side of places like South America and Africa. And so that divide and the brokenness between these definitely is underscoring some of the things that, that um, Alex is talking about here. And all of that is not missed when we talk about what this book of Jubilees is talking about dividing the lands. I think it's personally, I think it's actually important for us to try to get a, a good grasp on which lands belong to who among the three sons of Noah, uh, because it, it might provide some insights into everything where we see something about the the four divisions. And you might be asking, why four? Um, and, and Alex and I have talked a little bit about this before, like offline. But um, there's a lot of spots in the Bible, for instance, Daniel, where things are divided up intentionally by the what it calls the four winds of heaven. Um, and so we think of that as like the four cardinal directions. And there are some parallels between that and how the land gets divided between the sons of Noah um, with um, kind of a, a three, there's three of them, but then there's like a, a secret fourth if you talk about splitting off Canaan as its own separate thing. Because when they when they get off that, the ark, as we talked about before, we believe that there's three sons plus the grandson uh, with Canaan. And so there's there's this weird thing that's happening with the division of those four winds and also with the sons themselves. So I don't know how far uh, you're going to read down into this division here, Alex, you're going to, you're going to talk about the, who gets what, what parts? Yeah. Right now I'm going to focus in on ham, but I would encourage the listeners to read this entire section and uh, have some old maps out while you do it. A lot of it, you're not going to understand just because the terms are not used anymore. Um, the, the place names are no longer in use, but you can find a lot of them on the most ancient maps. Hold it right there, watchman. Get a cup of tea. It's time for everything under the sun when we take three minutes to hear from the watchman's wife, Amanda Lawrence.
just going to jump right in this week. When was the last time you asked to be used by God? When you asked him to lead you to divine appointments and for things to fall into place too perfectly to be coincidental? I think sometimes believers assume we will inherently have these things happen, and that's true to a degree. But I anecdotally know that when I purposely pursue looking for God, he moves in a big way. Last week, the morning devotional I do with my best friend touched on this, and I was lamenting the fact that I haven't had a moment like that in a while and disappointed in myself because I haven't been seeking him and asking him to divinely use me in that way. So our sweet baby recently turned one years old and he was gifted some money because the kid grows like a weed and needed some new clothes. And because I'm a thrifty woman, I was heading to the local Goodwill. As I was in the turn lane about to head into the parking lot, I saw a woman on the side of the road. She had a shopping cart with her and two kids under the age of six. And she looked like she had walked kind of a hard road, no pun intended. And I felt God nudge me to give her some of the money that we had been gifted for our baby. Now, logistically, because of where she was on the road and because I was in the turn lane, I couldn't have gotten to her safely. So as I drove past, I thought, God, I don't know if that was actually you encouraging me to give that to her or if I'm just chomping at the bit to be used by you that I'm just going to invent things for everyone I see. So I went in and I shopped for my baby. And when I left, I remembered the woman and I prayed and asked God that if I was supposed to give her the money that I would see her again. I had been in the store for about half an hour, so I wasn't really expecting to see her. I get in my car and I'm leaving the parking lot and she is directly across the street. Okay, God, that was loud and clear. So I drove across, parked in the parking lot. And at that point she had started to walk away. So I jumped out of my car and ran after her. And I apologized in advance. I told her that I didn't want to offend her, but I felt that the Lord was prompting me to give her some money. And um, in the shopping cart, she had an additional two sweet kids who were even younger than the other two. She was hesitant, and I just kept saying that I felt like the Lord was asking me to give it to her. And she told me that she had just spent the last of their money, so she was very appreciative. I checked in with my devotional friend and the watchman right after. I cried, obviously, and the watchman remarked at how kind the Lord is to orchestrate that so quickly after I had prayed. Because earlier that morning, right after we finished the devotional, I did pray. I asked God to use me today. I asked him to orchestrate things, move things into place so that I could help someone or hear a word from him or whatever it was that he wanted to do in my life. And so I agreed with the watchman that the Lord is kind. And even God answering that prayer so quickly, that part was for me. I have a tendency not to be loyal to a subject in prayer if I don't see an answer in the amount of time that I have arbitrarily allotted. So basically, I just wanted to brag on God for a minute or three and encourage y'all to deliberately ask God to position you for specific people and specific circumstances. I just feel like there are so many opportunities out there every day that I just go right past and that I'm not opening my eyes and I'm not listening with ears from God and I'm not seeing all of the chances that there are to bring glory to him. As always, you can reach me at thewatchmanswife at gmail.com. I suspect that the division of Pangea probably occurred after the Tower of Babel, as opposed to earlier at this point when Peleg was born and when they were divvying up the land for themselves. I do as well. And that, and that for me, 
gets underscored by, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, I said, I think his name is also prophetic because I think he was given that name in accordance with what would happen in his day, right? Not just when he was born, but his days, like his, his days of his life. And so I, I think that actually maps right on top of that. Yeah. And he lived for hundreds of years. So it wasn't necessarily soon after his birth. It could have been a little while later. But yeah, I think you're right about it being a prophetic name. In addition, this really makes me wonder what kind of transportation the sons had or uh, what kind of information they had that may have come to them from the angels. And we're going to read here in a second that there was, an angel was actually with the sons of Noah. Um, but they had to have known something about the geography of the world from end to end, um, from east to west, from north to south. They would have had to understand what the geography looked like in order for them to be able to split it up amongst themselves. And I think they would have had to understand the climate in the different places as well to know whether or not it was even somewhere that it would be viable to take their families. Um, And they seem to have understood that because you won't, you in the descriptions of the different territories, you're not going to find anywhere that's just unbelievably hot or cold or um, super mountainous or anything like that. So they, they understood the terrain. And how was it that they understood it? I think that those are the only two real options in my mind is that either um, either the world looked very similar after the flood uh, as it did before the flood, and they still had all their maps and their, you know, their books and their knowledge from before the flood to understand the face of the world, which doesn't seem like a good option to me because the Book of Enoch talks very strongly about how much the world was changed by the flood, how the whole face of the earth was affected and um, even mountains changed places and such. So I don't know that it was really all that similar to what they had before the flood, but that's a possibility. Another possibility is that they still had some kind of transportation that they took with them on the ark. Um, And this is something I'm going to incorporate. If I can ever get back around to writing reign of the rebel, Uh, (laughs) I'm going to have some sort of aerial vehicle in possession of Noah and his sons that they brought with them and that limited amount of fuel, I'm sure, but perhaps they were actually able to do a charting expedition aerially. And they knew they kind of understood before they got on the ark that the world would be different and that they would need to have some way to scout. And so they, they brought something with them. It's um, interesting. I guess a third possibility is just that the angels or angel or angels hold them, like gave them a map and essentially said, here's what you're working with. You know, now from from this, decide what you're going to do and leave it up to me to come up with third. Um, As I've been talking much, I've been talking a lot more about uh, spiritual bodies uh, recently. My understanding is that they they might also have been able to reach some kind of uh, get a vision uh, from their spiritual body standpoint that that would have certainly been able to go aerial. Um, We hear about things like that with Ezekiel, where he's picked up by the spirit, John, same thing, um, and carried. Uh, so there might there might be other ways that are less human ingenuity bound that they could have also got that same information. And, and that's that, true. This yeah, reminds let's me. Let's lump that all together into just a category of supernatural. Yep. Supernaturally. <laughs> Supernaturally. They knew. Yeah. Um, also, just uh, I don't know how far we're going to read down in chapter eight of Jubilees, but it, there's some good summaries as it's talking through. Uh, definitely verse 29 and 30. 
where it says, this is the land which came forth, because in the verses before that, it's been described in some of the lands, uh, came forth for Japheth and his sons as the portion of his inheritance, which he should possess for himself and his sons for their generations forever. Five great islands and a great land in the north, but it is cold, right? I mentioned before that Japheth was in the north and uh, that maps uh, on top of, I believe, uh, places in Russia today. Um, That's a, a lot of theories about that Russia is really Gog, Magog. Um, and the land of, and it says specifically here in verse 30, and the land of Ham is hot. So that's likely to be from our map today, probably South America and out in Africa on that side of the earth. And the land of Shem is neither hot nor cold. So that's everything in between. And I, I always wonder um, how the Americas play across uh across between Shem and, and Japheth is I definitely would say the, the, and, and when I say New Americas, I mean the North Americas, uh, North America, it seems to me that North America territory, including what the native Americans had before would go either to Shem or to Japheth and perhaps a mixture of both based on how everything is laid out. So that, that to me seems to be important in understanding uh, end times expectations for North America. Um, but I, I don't really have any definitive things there. Those are just my educated guesses. Hopefully they're spirit led, but I wanted to share that as well while we're here. A lot of the descendants of Shem have ended up in North America from my yeah. understanding of things. So, okay. Um, let me keep reading. So the sons in verse nine divide the land amongst themselves in private, and then they go to Noah they're getting ready to leave home and they've already kind of got a plan for it before they tell Noah. Continuing from verse 10. And it came to pass in the beginning of the 33rd Jubilee that they divided the earth into three parts for Shem and Ham and Yepheth, according to the inheritance of each in the first year, in the first week, when one of us who had been sent was with them. Okay, so they divide it in um, the first year, in the first week. And the word week there is referencing weeks of seven years, not days. So the first week would be the first seven-year period of a Jubilee cycle. And the first year of that means that this is the very beginning of an entirely new Jubilee cycle. The us being spoken of here is an angel because an angel is narrating the book of Jubilees. So when it says us, this is the angelic being that was speaking with Moses. And he is saying that one of his brethren was with the sons of Noah during this time when they were dividing up the earth. Yeah. Verse 11. And he calls it, and he called his sons and they drew nigh to him, they and their children. And he divided the earth into the lots, which his three sons were to take in possession. And they reached forth their hands and took the writing out of the bosom of Noah, their father. And there came forth on the writing as Shem's, as Shem's lot, the middle of the earth, which he should take as an inheritance for himself and for his sons for the generations of eternity from the middle of the mountain range of Rafa and so on and so forth. So Shem got middle earth, mm-hmm. which is cool because Tolkien made it cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and then and as we referenced before, that's neither cold nor hot. Like it's a blend. Right. In yep. verse and then we skip on to chapter nine and we see that Ham got the portion to the south and the west which is hot. And he divided that among his sons so that Cush would get the Eastern portion. 
And again, I think that that would be from um, perhaps the Horn of Africa up into the Sinai Peninsula and all the way over into Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And then Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, got the portion uh, that we know of as being Egypt now. And then to the west of him was put, which is essentially where that still is. Yeah. And, and then from the west of put was to be Canaan or Canaan. And that's not where Canaan is. <laughs> <laughs> we should read that. <laughs> yes. So something happened because Canaan was supposed to get from put all the way to the sea. And that means the Atlantic Ocean. So what happened? Uh, why did he not get that portion of Africa? We're going to find out in chapter 10, starting in verse 27, which picks up right after the overthrow of the Tower of Babel. In the fourth week, in the first year, in the beginning thereof, in the fourth and thirtieth jubilee, were they dispersed from the land of Shinar. And Ham and his sons went into the land which he was to occupy, which he acquired as his portion in the land of the south. And Canaan saw the land of Lebanon to the river of Mitzrayim, that it was very good. And he went not into the land of his inheritance to the west, that is, to the sea. And he dwelt in the land of Lebanon, eastward and westward from the border of Yarden and from the border of the sea. Now that's Jordan. Yarden is Jordan, the river. And mm. the sea that's spoken of here is the Mediterranean. Okay, So when it says sea, you have to use some context to figure out which sea is being spoken of. Verse 30. And Ham and his father and Cush and Mitzrayim, his brothers, said unto him, you have settled in a land which is not yours and which did not fall to us by lot. Do not do so. For if you do so, you and your sons will fall in the land and be accursed through sedition. For by sedition you have settled, and by sedition will your, will your children fall, and you shall be rooted out forever. Dwell not in the dwelling of Shem. For to Shem and to his sons did it come by their lot. Cursed are you, and cursed shall you be beyond all the sons of Noah by the curse by which we bound ourselves by an oath in the presence of the holy judge, and in the presence of Noah our father. But he did not hearken unto them, and dwelt in the land of Lebanon, from Hamath to the entering of Mitzrayim, he and his sons, until this day. And for this reason, that land is named Canaan. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what happened. Canaan didn't like the territory that was assigned to him, and he rebelled against it. And he went and took some of the land that was supposed to be Shem's. In fact, he took the most important land <laughs> of all <laughs> Middle Earth, um, which, of course, was God-ordained. God needed an enemy to be in that land. Because he's writing a story, and there have to be bad guys, and there has to be high stakes, and there has to be uh, difficult challenges to overcome. So he had Canaan go live right there where he was going to put his name in oh, Jerusalem man. and the surrounding area. And so that's how we get places in uh, Zechariah 14, where it says there'll be no more Canaanites in the land, right? We get this because he heard his father, he heard his grandfather, he heard his brothers all tell him, don't go there or you'll be cursed and you'll get wiped out. And he was like, but it looks good. I'd rather be there. It looks good. It looks good to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to live there. And that's what he did. And, you know, I had long when I was younger and stuff, when you read all this stuff about the Israelites coming and taking the land from Canaan, because you don't get this context right here, like a lot of people think, oh, that's just, uh, you know, that's just people taking over what doesn't belong to them when the Israelites go in and they take the land or 
um, anything like that. But without this story right here, you, like the context is so crucial for us to understand how to deal with when people are more hostile towards the idea of Israel having to conquer the land and take, like there's people living there and you have to kick them out. And that just feels wrong. But if you understand it with this context, like it, it suddenly feels a lot less wrong. <laughs> it feels more right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense because there were squatters here. And in our next episode, we're going to get into who the descendants of Canaan were, and specifically the tribes of giants and how wicked they yeah. were, and also who they served, which is going to be very instructive. And once you start to understand all of that, it becomes more and more clear that these guys really did need to be excised from the land. And here is where we can get into some brain games as to whether or not Noah's curse of Canaan is what caused Canaan to make these terrible decisions and go live where he shouldn't. Or whether Noah was cursing Canaan because he prophetically already knew Canaan was going to do that and was going to be cursed because he had put himself under an oath and was then breaking that oath. <laughs> you know what it's that like reminds me of? <laughs> cause or effect? <laughs> yeah, you, you remember in The Matrix, in the first one, where he comes in and he hits the plant and she says, don't hit, don't knock over the plant, watch the plant. And he turns and then he knocks over the plant. He's like, what's really going to mess with you if, see if you would have done it if I hadn't have told you that, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the moment we're in right now for Canaan. Like we don't, I don't, I have no idea whether or not it's cause effect or it's just, it just is. It's an interesting mental activity, but yeah, it's impossible <laughs> to say. Speaking of mental activities, I re- recently watched this latest Christopher Nolan movie called Tenet. Oh yeah, I watched it. Did you? Oh man. I did. <laughs> it hurt my brain. It really did. Um, it was good. It was it was honestly unexpectedly good. I didn't know it was Christopher Nolan when I started watching it. Yeah. And everything he does is spectacular. But this one was probably the most complicated of anything, any of the movies yeah. that he's put out so far. Definitely. We're we're ending this episode with a discussion of something that has nothing to do with the Bible. Sorry. <laughs> but but Well, uh, it might. It, that's if we dip into talking about time travel like I was talking about the other day. But we'll we'll pause on that. We'll pause and leave that for another day. Oh, yeah, you're going <laughs> to overwhelm people with that one. Yeah. Um, anyway, I recommend it. It's it's a really interesting film, but it's going to require you to watch it a couple of times. And even then, you're, you're still going to have a headache. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as like looking at new ways of looking at how God looks at time. You know, uh, I commonly say that heaven doesn't have time. And so it's outside of it. And with that, there comes new realities in, into play. And I think that movie's a good little dip into how things can be <laughs> if you look at time differently. And it could also spark a discussion about predestination versus free will. Yeah, definitely. And it, the, the, the movie doesn't answer that at all. It just brings no. it up and makes you think, like, wait a minute, <laughs> what would happen in this scenario? <laughs> anyway. I wish we could talk more about Canaan. I'm eager to get into more of that, but we're going to have to wait until next time. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to have Watchman Alexander answer your question in a future episode, please send an email to questions at watchmanalexander.com with your city and state or region in the subject line. We're more than happy to answer questions about uh, anything we've been talking about or things that are off topic, too. Um, Nothing is off the table. So whatever is on your heart and, and in your mind right now, Um, feel free to ask. 
But that wraps us up for today. Look forward to being with you again next time. Until then, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Watch my nap. Shalom. Thank you.